You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Well, please be seated with your Bibles open. To follow along today, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus simply gives two requests, two requests to his Father. And after we look at each one in turn, there's a surprise. There's a surprise for all of these disciples there at the brook, listening in to this intimate window, this conversation. But before we begin, we need to rediscover the power and the purpose of a preposition. Oh, I didn't enjoy grammar class when you had to do those difficult grammar lessons, but I promise you, it's going to require you before we get into the prayer to think a little harder, but it's not hard, okay? Are you with me? A preposition. You remember this from eighth grade, don't you? It's a word that describes a relationship between two words. Here's a way to simply think about it. Maybe your teacher gave you this picture years ago. Think about a word that describes a relationship between a caterpillar and an apple. A caterpillar might be, for instance, if you look at this, inside the apple. There he is, enjoying himself. Or he might be beside the apple. See, the relationship between the caterpillar and the apple is what a preposition is all about. And Jesus, in this prayer, he's throwing prepositions all over the place. And if we can understand them, we're going to really understand this prayer. Now, we're gonna, it's, remember, it's not hard, but it's going to require a little bit of challenge. Take a look at a couple of Greek words. Let's go to the next slide. He is going to say some Greek prepositions. One of them is this fancy thing, ice into. I am sent into. Notice you're on the outside and you're moving in. It's, it's great. It's a, it's, a, it's a motion word. Another preposition is the word in. In. And then this one, out of. Jesus is going to throw these all over the place and it's all about relationships. Okay, grammar lesson is over. Some of you are thinking, great, can we get on with it? Yes, we can. Request number one, Jesus requests that the Father safeguards his disciples. John 17, 15, listen to his tender words to the Father. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them. We don't use that word a lot unless maybe you think of soccer and the goalkeeper, what is that goalie doing? He's keeping the offensive attack of that ball from getting into the net. Jesus says, protect my followers from danger. Now, you all know five years ago when you brought me on as a pastor, I didn't know a thing about football. I keep trying to learn. So I thought, all right, some of you follow Clemson, and if you don't, I'm not trying to offend you. But I'm trying to figure out Clemson for starters. Well, I Googled, like, who is the most impressive offensive guard for Clemson? I don't even know if you've heard of this guy, but I got a picture of him. His name is Joe Bostic. As the story goes, there were 18 years where Clemson wasn't even on the map. But they got this big, huge guard who would stand next to that quarterback, and as they tried to move the ball down the field, that guard would hit you hard. And the quarterback and the runners could move forward. Jesus is saying, Father, I need to ask you a serious request. 
I need you to guard my followers because they're going to be making an offensive attack to rescue people. What a request, Jesus. He requests that his followers are protected from who? The evil one. Why would they need guarding? Well, because notice the preposition. He did not ask that they would be taken out of the world. Look at the Greek prepositions again. This is very important. He doesn't want them taken out of the world. They are in the world making an offensive attack to share the grace of Christ. World. Does that just mean, like, the earth? In the book of John, it has a very special meaning most of the time. And take a look here. This is the definition of what it meant when John used it. It's hostile humanity solidly against God's order, truth, purposes, and practices. World. Jesus will use this word 18 times in his prayer. It's an important word. World. It's the values, the viewpoints, the vibes, I'm feeling something, of all of those who resist the inbreaking reign and the new rhythms of the kingdom of Jesus. The world says things like this, and they sound kind of good when you first hear them. Don't stay committed in a difficult relationship. These members that just made some promises, let me speak to you for a moment. You will be so tempted the more you hang out with this church and the more you hang out with me as your pastor to sit there and say, wait a second here. These are some difficult relationships. The world will say, when the going gets tough, get out. When you experience difficult relationships, you don't got to put up with that kind of stuff. Get out and find that church where you don't have all that mess. That's the world speaking. It sounds good, but it's not the viewpoint of God. God would say, you're in a difficult relationship. I'm going to become man and make you a friend of mine forever, and you're pretty difficult. World. The world says it is right if it makes you really happy, doesn't it? Now look, Christians are the happiest, most joyful people around, but that is not the truth. It is right if it makes you feel happy. Listen to what John Flavel, a famous uh, pastor, said once. Now this is how Christians think. There's infinitely more joy in the killing of a sin than in the committing of it. Sometimes I will sin in what I'd call little ways, and I'll do the math, and I'll go, if I step over the line, it ain't that bad. What this Christian is saying, that's the world. The joy I might get, that little happy pleasure of that sin is so momentary, kind of like a bottle rocket. It'll just explode, but it's gone. This pastor is saying, there's infinitely more joy when you kill a sin. When I go, oh, just this little sin, no, kill it right there. Don't even do it. Wait a few minutes. Yeah, I've done this sometimes. I'll go down and I'm like, I've just got to eat something and I don't really need to. I've already had enough to eat. And it's rare, but I'll walk away from that refrigerator so mad. And about five minutes later, when I'm done kind of like, Ugh, I'll feel joyful. I didn't have to eat that piece of cake. There is infinitely more joy when you kill a sin than when you commit it, but the world will reject that train of thought. 
Now, Jesus says, guard them, keep them from the evil one. I want to give you two very practical ways that as you walk out and have to live your life, you're going to have to be in the world, but you're going to have to navigate being guarded from the world. Look at this girl walking on the ridgepole of a roof. She's safe if she stays on the ridgepole. Some of you are like, that's Anne of Green Gables. I know, you literary buffs. Jesus wants us to walk on this ridgepole and keep away from two opposite extremes as we are in the world. Here are the opposite extremes. You can fall off the slippery slope if you lean one way or the other. Don't do that. Here are the two ways you do not want to lean. Look at these words. The words are isolation and assimilation. Go ahead and isolate. Isolate yourself from the world by simply doing what is safe. The word Pharisee comes from the actual word separate. See, if we just become a church that separates off from the world, what happens is you end up getting a bunch of little weird rules that are not in the Bible, and if you follow the weird rules and you stay safe and you click off from the world, you're isolated and you keep the evil out. Here's the error. The evil is inside of us. What about the opposite error? Okay, I won't isolate, I will assimilate. What does that mean? Well, when you are resonant rather than dissonant, think of a note. You play a note and you have the same note and it just resonates, that sweet little subliminal purr. When you're resonant with the culture rather than dissonant, if you dilute the distinctive beliefs of Christianity and the behaviors that follow, you will assimilate. Ask yourself these questions and be honest, would you? Are you materialistic this Christmas? Are you consumeristic this Christmas? Are you individualistic this Christmas? Are you dependent on your circumstances for joy? Are you imprisoned by the expectations of others? Are you centered on your family? Are you centered on your career? It, it blows my mind that the latest Gallup poll on American, religious, or on American religions happened at Christmas in 2015. It's the latest one. You know what it said? They asked Americans where you are, and 75 out of every 100 said, I am a Christian. That's a little odd to me. Because Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 gave a social identity to his followers. He said, you're salt. You're light. Let me ask you, if I had a bag and it only had 100 potato chips, but 75 of them were just full of salt, and I put the 75 in the bag, I added the 25 that didn't have salt, and I shook it up. If I grabbed one of those original 25 that had no salt, what would they taste like? Salt. If I took all of you in this room and said, we're going to only have 100 and just limited, turned all the lights off in the middle of the night, and I said, 25 of you do not take your phone and do not turn on your light, but 75 of you turn on that light, would the room be any different if 75 lights from people's phones were on? I ask you. And yet, you walk around your neighborhood. Go back today and walk around your neighborhood and just look around at your neighbors. 
Think about your own heart and ask yourself, oh my, have I assimilated or isolated? Because I've been given a social identity, I need to stay on the roof. Here's the way to stay on the roof and be guarded from the evil one. Not isolation or assimilation, but identification. What does that mean? Well, identify with the identity that God has given you. Light is as good and true is as good. It's truth. Live that out. Enter the world that we live in and resonate with the fact that everybody you meet is enslaved to sin, just as you were before Christ. Stand in solidarity with sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. But live out your given identity. Be salty this Christmas. Be different. Create some light. Live inside the loneliness of the lonely people that you know and the doubt of those that doubt around you. The key here is to remember God sent the Son of God into the world. And in the incarnation, the Son did not stop being God. How does that relate to you? You say that you're a Christian, that means you're in Christ. In, remember that preposition? Resting in the middle, in Christ. He is your core identity, and yet you can identify with those in the world struggling with sin without stopping your new status of being righteous in the sight of God. Look at verse 18 again. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You feel prepared? Jesus prayed for this for his followers. Not only did he pray that we would be safeguarded from the evil one, Number two, his second request, it's so cool. Jesus requests that the Father sanctifies his disciples. Now, wake up, those of you that say, I'll never change. Because this was a prayer that Jesus gave. I'll never change. I know me. I've tried. Read the books. I've, I, oh, he prays this request. It's a crazy one. Father, look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, christian word, isn't it? It generally means separated from anything that's normal. That's why the angels that we just sang about, when they look upon God, they say this over and over. Holy, that means cut off from the normal, separate. Holy, you're sitting there looking at the angel going, can you describe him in maybe a different way? Holy, angels don't know what to say because when they look at God, he is cut off from anything you would ever imagine. And Jesus says to the Father, they're now in me. Holify them. Make them so oddly different from the norm. Sanctify is a fusion of two meanings when you look at the whole narrative of Scripture. Specifically, meaning number one, it is to set something apart for a special task. Micah and Paige are going to get married very soon. And my wife bought me these really cool shoes. And they're comfortable. And she looked at me and she goes, you are not wearing those shoes until the wedding. Well, i got to break them in. No, you aren't. You put them in the closet. Those are sanctified. Come on, Michael will not know. No, this is my daughter and my new son-in-law. You are not touching those shoes. I, I, have, I got, them, got them a month and a half ago. I walk into my closet angry that I can't put those shoes on. But they're sanctified. They are not to be put on. I'm tempted. 
Meaning number two, it also means not just to set something for a special task, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is progressively conforming you into the glory of Christ-likeness. This is amazing. Here's this request. Sanctify, holify my followers. When we experience something that's sanctified, we experience two emotions. The first one is absolute thrill. When you see something so different, you want to get near it, but you know as soon as you take a step near it, it's so beautiful, you get stunned and you want to run. We had this experience when we went to Spain two years ago. Take a look at this image. Aiden runs up to me uh, and he says, Howard, Howard, Bill Murray has been on our plane. Now, I've never been a huge Bill Murray fan, but when I moved to South Carolina, I heard stories that Bill Murray owns the River Dogs and he's so kind. And I thought, you know, he's been in a lot of movies. That sanctifies him, but he's so kind. And I was like, Aiden, are you serious? Aiden's like, come on, Howard. You go, go up to him and let's get a picture. And I had those two feelings. I was thrilled. I, he's kind. I'm sure he'll talk to me. But the closer I got, I mean, I'm in the presence of Bill Murray. And it was the most funny thing. Jackie's there. Elaine's there. And I'm like, Bill, would you mind if we got a picture? And he's like, of course. But look at, look at the group. This was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, here, Grace Esquivel isn't even looking at the camera because she's just entranced, right? Um, here I am in the back. I think it's funny that Jackie upstaged Bill Murray. It's kind of cute. Uh, here you got John Henry holding on to Sam for dear life. Bill Murray looks at all of us because we all get in the picture, and he looks and he goes, would someone like to take the picture? Jesus prays that his followers would be sanctified, set apart. And he tells them how it's going to happen. In the truth. Not by becoming a celebrity. The truth. Now, this, go back. I, I, I lied. I said the grammar lesson's over. It's not. God does not use an adjective to describe how we become so different. He uses a noun. What is the difference between these two words? True, let's put these words up, versus truth versus true. They are absolutely different. If something is only true, an adjective, a higher authority gets to certify it. That's why our world says things like this. Well, if it's true for you, that's cool, because it ain't true for me. No, no. We are not set apart by true. That's an adjective. We are set apart by truth. There is nothing higher that certifies the very word and story of God. And the only thing that will make you any different and what makes Jesus so radically different and any of those that are in him is that truth is an ultimate authority. Jesus says it again in his prayer, and they're listening by the brook. Your word is not an adjective. Truth. John 17, 14, he develops how the instrument of our sanctification, our becoming radically different, is truth. And he says this, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Uh-oh, there's an emotion there. Because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If you want to be different, which is Jesus' request, you are not of the world just like Jesus is not of the world. Look at the preposition chart again. 
of the world, rooted in, sourced in, nourished by. The world looks at you and says, you are not hooked in. You're not our peeps. You're not one of us the way you're talking, the way that you're living. You're not rooted in what we're rooted in. And when that happens in a community, people start to get emotionally frustrated. If you want to march with your different beliefs and behaviors to the beat of a different drum, try it for a little bit. The world will not treat you well. If you don't march in their parade or their politics or live for their purpose, you are odd. And if you're not a Christian today, let me tell you something about God. God is odd. What do I mean by that? I don't mean he's weird in the sense that he's just strange. I mean it in a deeper way. God will always deviate from what the world feels and finds to be usual and normal. God is odd. And some of you that haven't grown at all as a Christian, you are unwilling to enter into that reality. It's a different beat because life is rooted in a different heart. We beat to the heart of Jesus Christ. There's five ways that we are very, very different. This second request, not just safeguard, but sanctified. These are five ways we're very different when we're in Christ. Number one, we have a different citizenship. People in the world think, I, I'm just on the earth, and it's just, I got to just do everything, and that, all I got is the earth. No, no, our citizenship is in heaven. Number two, we have a different standing. The world stands in Adam, who fell in sin. He's just selfish. He's disconnected from God. We are now in Christ, sourced in Christ, nourished in Christ. Number three, we have a different nature. The world is still in the flesh of Adam. They can only sin, but we are in Christ we actually have the power because of the Spirit to live differently. Number four, or I'm sorry, number, number three is our different nature, flesh and spirit. Number four is a different aim. The world lives for themselves. We live for God. And number five, we have a totally different story. Christmas is our story. It is the favorite narrative uh, of, of God, and He gave it to us, but the world, walk up to different people. They're living in their favorite narrative. Some people say, I don't even have a God. Christianity calls for nothing short than conversion. That's a new vision of how things are. And when you meet someone in the world that says, you would dare try to convert me or dare try to convert someone else, absolutely. This story will not stop short of conversion, a different view of how things are. Your life will be hated because you're living with the accusations of the world against what they would consider counterfeit. But Christianity is a counterculture. Culture, remember, is what most people think is acceptable. And contrary to the 75% Christianity rate, most people in our culture have been, the world has salted our culture, which means what most people think is acceptable is not what God thinks is acceptable. John chapter 3, before this prayer, many chapters earlier, Jesus says that good works expose evil and the light of your life will be hated. Different values, different goals. Let me read a statement and I want you to own it. Where are you at with this statement? God is not the meaning in your life. 
but the means to get what you really worship for your meaning. I'm going to say it again so some of you can slow down. You say, oh, I follow Jesus. Listen closely. God is not actually the meaning in your life, but the means to get what you really worship for meaning. I read that because if you make God the meaning of your life and not just the means, which I would say we all are either tempted or fall into that. I know I do. If you live this differently, it will create an emotion of hatred from those in the world. Hatred, it's not just dislike, it's extreme dislike. Maybe you say, I haven't been disliked by anybody for years. Ah, that's interesting. Jesus is praying for you so you can endure that emotion. Is there something about your life that doesn't cause people that know you well to say, I hate you? Hatred is not anything less than extreme offense at who you are. Your very life is offensive for you're attacking and violating the lies and the values of the world. Jesus says, safeguard my people. He says, sanctify them. But the world, and let me remind everybody of something really important right here. The world is not your enemy. They are under the power of the evil one. The world are victimized by the enemy. The evil one is your enemy. We do not fight the hostages who are under the spell of the world. We are sent out to rescue them. Oh, of course when you're trying to rescue them with this different story, they're going to hate you, but we're going to love them back. You will be no more radically sanctified than if you love back someone who hates you. Listen, love for those like us is easy. Love for those who are like us is simple. Love for those who are unlike us is extraordinary, but love for those who dislike us and hate us is revolutionary. Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the evil one, and he sends you into the world. They're not your enemy. To rescue the world. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Your friends are so far from God, but they're close to you if you're willing to get close to them. You say, Howard, help me here. I want to be in the world. I want to be different. But I'm telling you this. I'm so tired. I will tell somebody about this incredibly different story. And here's what my friend will say to me, even though it's Christmas. Back off. God does not matter to me. I know he matters to you. He doesn't matter to me. Here's what Jesus would say, and it's so different. Yes, they will say this because they're blinded by the evil one. But say to your friends, say to your family, I know God doesn't matter to you. That's why God sent his only son into the world, because you, though undeserving, matter to God. Now, that's different. That's different. Jesus has two requests. Safeguard my followers sanctify my followers. And the last thing is a real surprise because you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is a heavy thing to walk out of church with on an Advent Sunday. Jesus, number three, will substitute himself for his disciples. And that's going to be the incentive for them to actually live differently. Look at verse 19. And for their sake, that's actually a preposition again, 
meaning I'm going to swap my life for them, for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Take a look at this image of the high priest, because this word Jesus has used, consecrate, was used when the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies. Notice this thing on his chest. Some of you know this, but some of you have never studied it. The high priest was so different because he would wear a gem, a beautiful stone for every tribe. Who was listening to this prayer of Jesus? His 11 disciples. One had betrayed him. Jesus uses this language of consecration, which would have been used of the high priest. The high priest would first consecrate himself by killing a bull and two rams. He was a sinner. He would have to take life in order to get close to God. You can find that story in Exodus 28 and 29. Only then, when he was consecrated, would he pray with these 12 tribes on his heart. Jesus says, and all of his disciples are listening, for their sake, I, like the high priest, consecrate myself. Many of your Bibles will call this prayer the high priestly prayer because of this. This special preposition in their place, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to kill a bull and a couple of uh, rams today. I am going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to make myself a sacrifice. Deuteronomy 15, 19. Look at the language again. You shall consecrate, see the word? To the Lord your God, all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. Jesus is entering into a story where he becomes the great high priest. And instead of killing an innocent firstborn, he is the firstborn. And in his innocence, he was not just born as a baby, put into a manger, but he would grow up and live perfectly for you, and he would die for you. He would keep every law for you that you have broken. He would keep every law where you say, I'm not very salty, I haven't been living good in a light-filled life. He would keep every law for you. And he gives his holy record to sinners who trust in him. Jesus says, I'm going to swap my holy perfection for your evil worldliness. Because we substituted ourselves for God, he died substituting himself for his chosen. On the cross, the holy son of God, he's so different when he does this, he's forsaken, he gets cut off from God. And yet, so that sinners can be brought into the life of God, so that we can brought into, this, into the life of the angels who look upon this God that we're in a relationship and they can only say, holy, holy, holy. He's on the cross. The curtain rips because humanity who's outside is now going to get into a relationship with the living God, in God, through the curtain. Do you trust this undeserved love? John Owen has been called the greatest English theologian. Look at this short quote he gives. Christ loves life, grace, and holiness into us. Some of you are saying, I want to be different. I want this prayer to come true. Well, look more at Christ and how he gives you this. Or think when you sing this Christmas, Oh, Holy Night, one of my favorite songs. When you sing the phrase, Till he appeared and the soul felt it's worth. Those of you that have been betrayed, you can feel pretty dirty. Maybe it was me. 
Maybe it was, I did something wrong. He comes. He prays for you. He stops at the brook. He understands betrayal. And it was until he appeared and the soul felt his worth. I end with the last request of John Knox. Now, I kind of call him the Presbyterian Santa Claus, and you'll know why. This is the guy that many years ago got the Presbyterian tribe going. Interesting guy. Interesting story. He would spend many years of his life on a slave ship because he was so different than the world. He's dying, and he says to his wife, I have one last request. Would you read to me over and over and over before I die? So the last thing I hear are the words of John 17. His wife would grab the Bible and read that prayer over and over and over, and she would ask him, why this? And he said this to his wife, this prayer and the intimate requests from the Son to the Father, this is where I cast my first anchor. How about you? Are you anchored into Christ? It's going to change everything. Are you anchored into Christ so that you can be sent into the world with his story of saving grace? Are you willing to be different? God prayed that you would be safeguarded and he sacrificed his he sacrificed his life for you. Would you pray with me? Father, Christmas time, going into a, a prayer of Jesus. Lord, we're so glad that you sent your only son. We're so glad that he swapped out his perfection for our imperfection. We're so glad that as he walked with the names of those tribes, there are people in this room that are on his chest close to his heart because he would rather die so that we would be holy in your sight and acceptable. Lord, as we prepare our hearts now for this meal, I ask God that you would comfort us, strengthen us, and continue to answer this prayer of your son 2,000 years ago. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me read to you what one of the writers about Jesus wrote. Remember, before he'd go to that brook and pray, he was with his friends and he enjoyed a meal with his closest friends. Here's how Luke captures the story. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that, I, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in front of his friends, he takes this bread and they're wondering, what's he going to do with the bread? Because they're hungry. And Luke says this, he took, he took the bread, which he had, and he had given thanks for it, and he broke it right there in the presence. I don't know if when they were hearing him pray, and he was saying, I'm going to die for the sake of them, if they thought back to the bread. But we now can see in hindsight that Jesus was broken. He was sacrificed so that we would never be broken we would never be broken in a way from the presence of God. And he gave thanks. So let's do that right now. Father, we thank you for this meal. We watch Jesus as he prays this long prayer. We watch him as he prays a real short one. And he says, I'm so thankful that you provided this bread in this cup, Lord, to remind us that your only son has forgiven us. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Luke goes on to say that he gave it to them and he said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup that that they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. You hear the high priestly language again? My blood will pay. My blood will connect. Now, some of you are not Christians. One of the best things is that you showed up today, probably brought by, brought by someone that loves you enough to be in your life. If you have not trusted Christ, this is a meal to nourish those who are in Christ. It's not an empty ritual. We have prayers. We would love you to be like Jesus today and simply talk to the Father. We have prayers for those that are searching for truth, not something true. You won't find that here. Truth. We have a prayer of belief. This could be a day where you say, I'm going to trust this story. It's radically different, and I'm going to have to learn it, but I trust what Christ has done. We have a prayer for those struggling with sin and a prayer of commitment. If you are a Christian, though, if you're able, we're going to have you come down the different aisles when one of our uh, leaders will come to your aisle and come and take and go back to your seat or take it right away. Nourish yourself because you're going to be sent out after this meal into the world and strengthened for his mission. If you're unable to come forward, just raise your hand, and probably one of our leaders will bring this to you. Gentlemen, come when you're ready.